I think of I think of some advice that someone gave me that was very meaningful to me and impactful, and it happened while I was being fired. And that was that, you know, he told me that most of the time I'm right, but the way that I'm delivering the message, uh, no one wants to agree with me. No one wants to be on my team. People would just kind of disagree with you just out of spite because because um, why not? You deserved it. Welcome to another episode of The Burnt Chef Journal, hosted by myself, Chris Hall, the founder of The Burnt Chef Project. This week's guest is Jeremy Fox, who joins us all the way from Los Angeles to talk about he struggled with depression and addiction and a career and life crisis. After that, he took time to heal. He published on vegetables and opened Mexican restaurants in Lula's and has been nominated for James Beard's Best Chef West. He is outspoken about mental health issues within the hospitality industry and joins us today to share his experiences. Lamb Westerner, your partner in potatoes. We're a leading global frozen potato manufacturing business with a wealth of experience in offering a portfolio of high-end and quality products on a consistent basis. We supply the pub, casual dining, QSR sectors. We believe in well-being free potatoes and we are very proud to support the Burnt Chef Project. Here to offer our support and help for those that need it and any solutions that you need for you and your business. Hi, Jeremy. How are you doing? Good. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. I'm good. Um, so, Jeremy, we, we've touched base on Instagram. We've spoken a little bit um, just on there about sort of you wanting to support the Burnt Chef Project. And you, you're based over in America. So I was quite interested to, to hear your sort of story and hear your journey and find out a little bit more about, about how, how you can help us and why you wanted to get involved, really. Yeah, well, I... I um... Someone actually sent me a, sent me a link to to the Burn Chef project. Um, uh, that's why uh, that's what kind of introduced me to it, and thought that I just wanted to be involved or at least you know see what you guys were doing. Yeah, I mean, one of the key things is for us it's about opening up conversations and producing a, a, an industry a, a healthier and happier working industry because up until fairly recently well mental health in general wasn't something that we discussed um i mean for me I, you and i sort of don't know each other and i'm quite interested and i'm sure the listeners will be quite interested to find out a little bit more about sort of your journey within hospitality and and why this particular subject is is uh, prevalent for you and keen for you Sure. I, well, I think it, well, I mean, you know, I started cooking it uh, at age 20 and uh, just kind of fell in love with it. There was just something about the cooking and I guess the ability to be creative. And I think the main thing was being able to go to work and kind of uh, lose myself in the work and not have to, not have to think about what's going out on outside. Um, and really just think about nothing but the actual tasks that I'm doing for, you know, 10, 12, however many hours a day. Uh, you know, I really enjoyed that. enjoyed the challenge. The uh, I enjoyed the, you know, paying my dues. I, I didn't mind, uh, you know, the environments where there was, you know, yelling and throwing. And, you know, I 
you know, I actually probably responded pretty well to that. Um, but, uh, you know, it had lasting implications on what my career would be as, as I progressed and, um, how I would handle adversity, how I would manage people, um, which wasn't always a positive and which eventually led to kind of a reckoning for me, um, you know, about, I guess almost 11, 11 years ago now. Uh, yeah. And I mean, I've, I've had a quick look, sort of look at your bio. You, you've worked in some, some pretty, pretty amazing places and you've traveled. I mean, you've been over in England as well at one stage in your career. Hey, yes, I, um, I staged at uh, Gordon Ramsay and St. John in 04. Um, and then I was lucky enough to uh, cook a dinner at, at Lyle's a few summers ago, which was really great. Oh, amazing. Amazing. And is it, is it, am I correct in saying that you also held your own Michelin star as well at one stage? Yes. At, uh, at a Ubuntu restaurant in, in, um, Napa, um, 2009, um, had a Michelin star there. And then, um, one of my restaurants now has a Michelin star. Um, so that's, uh, uh, all to the, uh, hard work and dedication of, of that team and chef Andy Dubrava. So I'm intrigued then, uh, cause as I say, I, I'd like to learn a little bit more about you. Can you just sort of give us, um, uh, a, a brief bio? Uh, of yourself and you know sort of your experiences and how you've ended up becoming you so say you you own multiple restaurants now do you say yes um so i was born in cleveland ohio uh you know in the midwest and you know lower middle class suburb um and food was never food wasn't really a big thing when i was a kid or you know 40, 45 years ago, you know, food has come a long way since then in terms of what people eat at home and, and in restaurants. But, um, you know, going out to a restaurant usually meant that it was, uh, some sort of celebration. There was, we, we didn't have money to just go out to eat because we felt like it usually it was for uh, good grades or family was in town or, or, or something, something good had happened. Um, so I always associated like good times with restaurants and, um, you know, the memories of it, it being a festive thing and being able to order an appetizer, you know, the, the luxury of that. And, um, you know, places, even in high school, places like Cheesecake Factory were fancy to me. Uh, yeah. I was pretty impressed by that. I don't know, I don't know if you have Cheesecake, Cheesecake Factory over there. Not one that I've seen. What's the concept of it? it literally just cheesecake, is it? No, it's they have a lot of cheesecake, but it's... It's a menu that's has at least a hundred hundred twenty five items. It's on on like a ten page menu with ads, and it's just you know it is what it is. But uh, you know, mass produced uh, food. But you know, cheesecake cheesecake is pretty good. Um, <laughs> but. Uh, you know, I'd originally planned to um, be an English teacher, so I started college 
um, right after high school and that didn't really work out. I, I just wasn't, just wasn't really into college. And then, uh, I, I'd always thought about having a restaurant and I learned about, uh, Johnson and Wales university, which is a culinary school in, in America. And, um, I saw the movie big night and, and that, that literally had an effect on me that changed my life that I was like, okay, that's what I'm going to do. Uh, so, I, you know, a month and a half after I saw a big night, I was in culinary school. Oh, wow. Uh, that, was, that was when I was 20. Um, and I'm 44 now. Um, yeah. It's quite a, a radical, um, that's a radical move to go from, from seeing a film and to working and going straight into culinary school within that such a short period of time. What was it that sort of attracted you to, to it? I mean, what was in that film that, that spiked your interest? I think that I think that film uh, portrays a very romantic and poetic side of restaurants. Um, you know, integrity, and you could just—I think it was seeing how deeply affected the people were at this dinner in Big Night, emotionally, and um, the impact that 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 this dinner was having on people. I, I was just—I I, didn't—I knew that there wasn't really much else that I could get that kind of instant gratification from, from, from my work is to see someone's reaction. So, uh, that's so pretty nice. So yeah, so I went to culinary school and, um, I made it most of the way through. I didn't, I didn't quite finish. Um, you know, kind of the, the stories that I got, it's a true story is that I, uh, got, uh, carjacked, um, and missed school. And then I got dropped from the class, uh, because I was carjacked and, um, they wanted me to pay to make, to take over the class in the summer. And I was like, nah, I'm, I'm done. So, uh, I'm two classes short of my degree. So maybe one day I'll go back and finish. But, um, so after that, I moved back to Atlanta, started working at a place called mumbo jumbo, um, as a line cook. Um, and, uh, I was there for about two and a half years, um, eventually became sous chef and then chef de cuisine. Uh, and then I read an issue of Savor magazine that was on California. The whole issue was on California and decided that that was the next thing after big night. That was like, I, I need to go to California. So I, uh, in 2001, um, I, I moved from uh, Atlanta, Georgia, where I was living, to San Francisco, which was, I got there about two days before 9-11, so uh, that kind of, it was definitely a tricky time for restaurants, but um, that's, uh, that's how I got started in California, and I've been in California since, and um, went on to work at uh, Manresa Restaurant in uh, Los Gatos, uh, was there for about five years. Um, and again, there kind of started over from the, from the bottom as, as, uh, the amuse cook and then left to chef de cuisine and, uh, 2007 left to open, um, Ubuntu restaurant, which is a, which was a vegetarian restaurant with a yoga studio, yeah. um, which could have easily been a really poor decision, 
but went really well, at least uh, in terms of um, getting my name out there. Um, but it that I wasn't ready for that for that position, or I wasn't ready for the pressure and the uh, exposure that 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 ended up coming with it. Um, and basically had a nervous breakdown and, you know, that fell apart after about two, two and a half years. Was this, was this after the nervous breakdown or, or was this that the length of time that it, that went on for? That's when it started and that probably lasted for three, three years, about three years where I just kind of, uh, I bounced around. I moved to LA. I started several projects, didn't, didn't finish them, never got them off the ground, burned a lot of bridges, alienated a lot of people. Um, and, uh, you know, just had no idea what I, where I was going to go after that, what I wanted to do. And, um, you know, luckily, luckily it, you know, I came to, I was also on a kind of a, a mix of medication that was, uh, really harmful to, to me, uh, where I, I wasn't really, I definitely was not in control, uh, of, of my brain. Um, but eventually worked, worked my way through, uh, through that, that whole cocktail and got a job at a restaurant called Rusty Canyon. And that was, you know, something in my life that was the best case outcome. Um, and that was, you know, I, you know, I'm still part of the restaurant that rest, you know, I was able to kind of rebuild my life with that restaurant and, uh, rebuild my, uh, my style of food and, it was, it's just been a godsend that, that, that that happened. What do you think at that particular stage was, what did that restaurant offer you that perhaps you weren't finding elsewhere? I think part of it was that I was convinced it was my last chance. And, and also just the, the people that I was working with, um, uh, the owner of the restaurant, Josh Loeb and his wife, Zoe, were just really good people and felt, I definitely felt, you know, it was a very safe space and, um, that I had a lot of support and, um, you know, I laid all my cards on the table. I told them what I had been through and that wasn't a deterrent for them. So we, you know, I think we both kind of knew going into it that, um, it could go great or it could go poorly. And, uh, and it went really well. That's amazing. That's amazing. I mean, in terms of, I've got so many questions off the back of this, but I mean, I think for a lot of the people who listen to this podcast on a regular basis, they they may are they may be coming to the terms with what mental illness looks like and what it you know how it feels because I know personally for myself when I suffered with um, you know, different types of mental illness over over my lifetime. The first time I experienced it, I didn't have a bloody clue what was going on. I honestly didn't know, and I wasn't able to communicate it to anyone. Couldn't ask for help, even if I wanted to. So, yep. 
I mean, one one of the whole things that I try and do with this podcast is really give give other people insight into um, like your experience with with mental illness, what it looked like, how it felt, how you first acknowledged it, and then sort of like what you've learned over that period of time and what you've learned about yourself and what you've learned in terms of looking after your mental well-being and also running you know running successful businesses so i mean i wondered if uh, that's quite a lot to throw at you but is there anything in there that you you could start with at all yeah i mean well hindsight's 2020 and you know if i could go back and talk to 31 32 year old me i would i could i could definitely guide him through through some of what was going to happen. Um, but I think for me, what was going on with me is I was not able to articulate and um, talk to get people to understand what, I guess, what my vision was, what I needed, what my expectations were, what my hopes were. And I guess when, when people didn't read my mind, uh, I felt um, very alone and like probably attacked and, and like everyone, the world was against me. And if everyone would just get out of my way, everything will be fine. Um, and I, I, you know, as I started to take this medication and it started to, the combination of, of, of the, the different things did its thing. Um, I, th- I think my concept of reality was a little warped and I, I wasn't, I wasn't seeing things the same way every, everyone else was. Uh, and it, it was, it was that, that I was seeing it one way and literally everybody else was seeing it another way, which in, as I look back probably means that it means I was looking at it wrong. But, you know, as I started acting, acting out and, and being very angry about what was going on, uh, you know, I, I guess there was too much pride as I realized that I was making more and more of a mess and digging myself into a hole, but I was, I was too prideful to, or just didn't even know how to ask for help or that that was an option. Um, cause I assume if I had asked for help, someone would have helped me. Um, but instead I just was an asshole and, nobody wanted to help me or, you know, I think people just assume that if someone's, if someone's being a certain way, that's how they are. They might not understand, they might not understand it. It isn't necessarily their responsibility to, to realize that maybe there's something going on there that, that, uh, that we, we should, we should look at. Yeah. Difficult to try and ask for, ask for help and whilst, you know, a big part of that is maintaining relationships. And one thing that mental illness tends to have is that, you know, you, you, you can't even look after yourself in some cases, let alone try and maintain relationships with people around you. So it's, it's a difficult, it's a difficult one, isn't it? Like it's, it's being stuck in between a rock and a hard place when, when you're in that sort of frame of mind. Cause I, I, I mean, I've been exactly where, where you were in terms of, I was always trying to think two steps ahead. I, I always always knew what I wanted out of a communication or I wanted out of an action. And when it didn't go that way because I hadn't communicated it or I hadn't just taken a deep breath and taken a small step back, I just completely, I just had no patience, no no resilience or tolerance at all. 
And, Mm -hmm. you know, it it could be something as simple as just washing up, you know, and it wasn't done right or it wasn't done in the way that I expected it to be done or thought about it. And then I just completely lost my shit. Um, And you're the first person, actually, I've I've, I've heard speak about that particular scenario as well. And that's... And that makes me feel like, again, perhaps I'm not completely alone with that. So that's that's good for me. Thank you. No, I mean, I think um, if you if you don't know how to uh, to get your point across, and people aren't, like I said, not aren't reading your mind, then you. Just, I took it as everything that went wrong. I took it as a um, purposeful disrespect or attack on on me or what I wanted um, like a mistake mistake wasn't a mistake it was on purpose to make me mad mm. which is not what people go to work to do it's um, you know, for the most part people go to work to do the best they can do um, everyone's working really hard so uh, that was just a really poor way to to handle things. Yeah, but there's, you know, I, I talk about the concept of, of framing and, and how we see things through our own perception um, or our own frame. And it's, it's, again, you say hindsight's twenty twenty. At the end of the day, you can see it now because you've got a different perception, a different glass, pair of glasses, different frame that you view it through. But at that moment in time, that's 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 it. It is cast iron. That's the way it is, and because that's the way you see it, and yeah, it completely skews your version of reality, doesn't it? Especially when you're in that mindset. It took me a few years to realize. It took me several years to realize that I was I was responsible for for the the bad things that that went down. Um, uh, I, for several years, I was just like, I felt like I had been wronged. And it, it, it took a while to, to realize that that wasn't the case. So in that particular situation, then, say, for example, you know, you, you're in the thick of it, you're, you're in the weeds, um, and you've got that mentality. What could someone else have done in that period of time to really sort of offer an olive branch and, and to try and help? Honestly, I don't know. I don't know if, if it was possible at that time. It was, uh, you know, I was just convinced that what I was doing and what I was thinking, what I wanted was the way it should be. Um, yeah, I don't think, I don't think I, I, at that time, anyone could have helped me or saved me from self-destruction. So it's something you had to work out, work out yourself. I mean, what what was that turning point? When was it that you suddenly realised that shit? Perhaps things aren't how they seem. Um, I think after I'd had an, a few more uh, failed projects um, in the in the year after leaving uh, Ubuntu, and realizing that uh, you know. On this medication, I thought we'd just wake up some days and, and wonder what was real, what was fabricated, uh, and not being able to kind of tell the difference. And I think eventually that was kind of the alarm in, in my head that um, 
if I don't, if I don't fix this now, then it's not going to get better. There's no way it's going to get better the way, the way that my mind is working right now. Um, so I, uh, I did move to LA. I had a consulting project. I worked with a, a psychiatrist who specialized in, um, medication adjustment and over the next year, year and a half, uh, slowly weaned off, uh, all the medication that I was taking, which was, um, you know, antidepressants, um, Adderall, Clonopin, Ambien, uh, you know, it was literally just, I could, you know, with a pill, I would either, uh, wake up or another pill. I just went to sleep. Um, madness. So, uh, you know, eventually worked that out and, um, was able to, you know, it took actually probably two years till things started to be a little, uh, less cloudy in my brain. You know, I would forget things in the oven. You know, I, I would always, I would never use a timer because I always was able to remember everything I had going and like that didn't, that didn't work anymore. Um, so it took a few years until like my short term memory came back and um, that I was able to, you know, was going to therapy, uh, was able to kind of help fix what was, uh, help fix what was wrong, you know. And, you know, there were always, it's not like it just, things were better after that and it was a miraculous turnaround still had plenty of times when um my brain would outsmart would outsmart me um even though i was trying to outsmart my i felt like i was trying to outsmart my brain and my brain would, would always win um but it it never got to never got to like a breakdown it never got i was always able to either ask for help or acknowledge what was going on before things went too far in a position of often find you know people that have had mental health issues and who have hit sort of that rock bottom um, naturally they're more able to see when it's coming again um, and they'll be able to see it from the offset and it's a case of being able to to manage it and I mean, what do you think? Because I'm stuck at the moment. I used to think that with mental illness, you know, it was, it was a specific time or a period in your life and then you'd get over it. And then, you know, you might find that that particular instance is gone and, and you may never have another one or it may come up again. But then also, you know, I'm, I'm stuck between perhaps thinking that once, you know, people are more susceptible to mental illness and once you have a particular form, it's opened you up to, to the others. I mean, do you, with your experience, have you got any particular thoughts on that? Yeah, I think I, I, for the most part, are, I'm able to recognize when, like, I, I, I recognize when I'm in a rut or I'm depressed. I recognize when I'm in a creative high, you know, there are times when I feel creative and the ideas uh, don't stop. And then there's times when I, you know, there's nothing going on and, I've, I've learned to not get, be hard on myself the times when I'm not feeling creative and to try to be able to recognize the creative times and roll with the episode. Like, it's like, this might be a manic episode that, that might be why I'm being so creative, but, um, 
let's let's roll with it. You know, let's try to get as much done, get as much organized, get as much figured out, uh, do as much R and D during during those um, those things. So uh, um, when I have you know the mental energy and and then when there's non-creative times, I, I know that those are times to focus on um, more operational things and uh, and just to kind of you know be I guess forgive yourself for your your faults and your um, you know things you're, that aren't your uh, strengths at the time. Yeah, there's a lot to be said for being kind on yourself because I think we talk about with mental health, uh, you know, what what's good mental hygiene? How do we as people you know, look after our mental health and what should you do in order to keep your mental health in tip-top condition? But often enough, that sounds like it's too pretentious and that we're sort of we're saying to people that you have to lead this perfect life where you get up and you wake up at the same time every day and you have a healthy breakfast and go for a run and talk to your friends. And I, w- I, w- I wish that was, I, I need to do that. I would like to be someone who wakes up. I mean, I wake up early because I have a five-year-old and she's up by six o'clock every day. Um, but like, I don't have an exercise routine. Um, you know, I, I do recognize that uh, those things would be helpful. You know, I am not a, uh, I'm by no means a, um, perfect representation of, of, of mental health. You know, it's an ongoing thing. It, and, you know, just when you think you got something figured out, something happens and, um, you have to kind of pivot, which is kind of the word of the last year pivot over overused phrase but one one within mental health i'm 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 happy to happy to accept i think it's a very good very good term you know as i said at the beginning i've had mental illness but i wouldn't say that both times i've had severe mental illness was the same two completely different instances one where i was bedridden and couldn't get out of bed for six months and you know to the point where i was having paranoid um episodes you know i went shopping once and sat on a bench with the hood over my head because everyone was watching me. Everyone. Mm-hmm. Thousands thousands of people were all looking at me. I mean, that could have just been my ego talking, but you know, now that's a different case. But back then it's um that was terrifying. And then later on in life it was a completely different thing where I just felt like I didn't belong. I lost my sense of identity. And it's interesting that, you know, we we sort of are defining mental illness as he's depressed or she's got anxiety or he's got PTSD or whatever it might be. But I think there's, there's various different guises and forms of it that you can inherit over the course of your lifetime and as well as banish at certain times as well. Hey, what what were were the, what were your ages during these times? So my first one was when I was 16 and um, I can remember the very clearest day i can remember where i was sat i can remember the moment that i started to slide it was a very strange i think it was a combination of hormones but i also was sat there in a class one day and i um i started thinking not just as a fleeting thought but i started thinking quite heavily about what the what the point in life was um 
and it came out of the blue and and it sat with me for a couple of days and I came to the decision that there was no point there was absolutely no point um and I sunk into a deep depression fast like super fast um as I say at my height at my height of it I couldn't I couldn't get up couldn't get to school kept skipping lessons just spent most mornings waking up in tears and it was it was a horrible a horrible period of time it felt literally like I was at the bottom of a well looking up at a small patch of light um but I was too young to know what was happening and I didn't ask for any help and I didn't go and see a doctor and something clicked after about best part of a year and a half um and I just decided that I didn't didn't want to feel like that anymore I just didn't want to feel like that and I I just step by step got up you know the first day I I challenged myself just to get out of bed you know get out of bed get dressed have a shower do do a you know normal habit um and then from then on out just started just pushing those boundaries and slowly building up my resilience day after day went walking um started forcing myself into conversations with people i found that was a that was a big help actually just forcing myself into uncomfortable situations where i could talk to people mm-hmm. um and that that definitely increased the um increased my recovery on on that particular instance and then the second one was when i was about 29 um happily married two kids uh good job a well-paid job in a respected position managing a a, a team mm-hmm. and um you know playing for the local rugby club and I just didn't feel like I fit in didn't feel like I belonged felt like I was too busy trying to please other people uh, I was being a chameleon um quite inauthentic but then when I tried to be authentic and try to find myself I didn't actually know who I was um and and in that particular case I I went and got cognitive behavioral therapy um but i did that completely privately completely secretively um i booked fake appointments in my diary at work so my boss didn't know where i was going i didn't tell my wife the entire time i was going for those uh going for those appointments um and it was her that really took sort of pointed out to me that what i was going through i wasn't alone um cuz up until that point i just thought most of the therapists in the world were sat there waiting for me to walk through the door um but it turns out that uh, there were you know it was quite a common thing um and so yeah that's and it sort of led me on to starting up the Burnt Chef project working in hospitality working with uh, you know thousands of chefs who have suffered from burnout and, and high levels of stress and and it just led me to wanting to let other people know that you know they they weren't alone um i'd spent years trying to work out why when i looked at people they had nothing going on inside their head and they were just walking around with this empty space and happy as larry and i guess you know this this is this is my legacy to try and say to other people who are working in high high stress positions that they're just not they're not alone um yeah and it's a completely normal biological thing that happens to people sometimes yeah i mean especially when every single day is you know deadline and fast paced and everything's everything's rushed um and you know you can get the feeling like every every plate is your career on the line every single every single movement is you know a, a chance for humiliation um yeah and i think that was just 
wasn't really understood until until recently. And you know, I've I've, I've talked about this stuff in the past. I, I wrote it about wrote about it in in my book, and you know, I'm okay talking about it. But I you know, I also feel um, I don't want to be I don't want to be known as just the guy who talks about when he you know uh, crashed and burned, and that be the the thing that defines you. Um, but it also does, I also do know that when I do talk about it, when I do mention it, that it, people do f- feel, there are people who feel like, oh, I'm not the only one. Um, so I, you know, I don't mind. It's a, it is a tricky one. I, and I've heard this before where people say that they don't want to be defined by uh, an illness they have. Um, I guess it's like anything. It's like cancer. You know, if you have cancer, you, you, you wouldn't, we don't necessarily define someone as, oh, that you know, they've had cancer and, and they're here to talk about it. But inadvertently, they tend to because their information and their shared experience will help other people. Um, and I think that there's a change happening in the industry. I know um, uh, I work with not nine to five over in Canada, who's a similar sort of organisation to myself, and and they do a lot of work with. Is it James Beard Foundation? Yeah. Um, over there and, and they sort of celebrate you know celebrate diversity and celebrate these sort of conversations and I do feel that the industry is on a, on a bit of a a change I think quite a radical change for hospitality as well would you say? Uh, I believe so I think it's it's been coming and happening over the last several years and I think um, I think the the pandemic has accelerated all the hopefully accelerated all the things that needed to change um, that just weren't weren't addressed I don't know that what the lasting uh, effects are going to be um, mm. you know I'm hoping that the the awareness doesn't wear off as things return to normalcy I personally when you say that to me I get a fire in my belly I don't. I would. I don't think over. Certainly over over here, when I've got feet on the ground and I've got doors to knock on, I won't let it. I won't let it go. But um, you know, there are plans to extend. We've just launched um, a text-based support service over here for people to use twenty-four hours a day. And there, I'm in discussions with a company over in uh, America to be able to extend this over over there as well. Because I think, if anything, at this moment in time, hospitality needs someone to speak to. Um, when they don't know how to, and the text-based service helps with that. But I also think they're ongoing. I think that even if people feel the stigma of something like mental illness so strongly that they can't talk openly about it, then to at least put a support mechanism in place, um, I think is, is valuable. Not just in, in our two countries, but I, I think across across the world. I think it's it's never been needed more. And I, I'm not prepared to sit idly by and let people forget about about this especially as it's destroying our industries i would say so it's, uh, it's admirable work you're doing so thank you no no worries i mean it's it's, it's a small scale of 72 million people in the industry uh, worldwide so there's still a lot of work to be done but um, Jeremy, from your experiences, then obviously we have been being in the industry for a period of time. What was your sort of key takeaways? What things have you learned in terms of 
you know, running a business, um, balancing, uh, you know, your own health with multiple businesses and that of other people as well. What sort of tips can you give people? I think of I think of some advice that someone gave me that was very meaningful to me and impactful, and it happened while I was being fired. Um, and that was that, you know, he told me that most of the time I'm right, but the way that I'm delivering the message, uh, no one wants to agree with me. No one wants to be on my team. Um, and that was, that made a lot of sense. Uh, you know, then people would just kind of disagree with you just out of spite because, um, because why not? You deserved it. Um, so that, that was, that was a really good learning experience that, you know, just be, be nice, just be, try to be nice to people. <laughs> um, you know, most people come to work, especially, you know, in, in restaurants, they come to work to work hard. They want to do their best. Um, so kind of that kind of, uh, um, aggressive behavior and just toxic, toxic behavior, um, there's no point for it. And, you know, there are definitely times where uh, I still feel that kind of like anger, you know, creep up and, you know, try to try to put it back down or try to, you know, let it out in a, in a, in a better way. Um, but, uh, and I think it's just, I think being nice is, is, is a big thing. And I work really hard to try to be nice and, Sometimes I'm not as uh, um, complimentary as I as I should be. Um, I you know I, I assume that my silence is an approval, um, but it's 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 always nice for for someone to hear that you're doing a good job. Um, so I try to keep that in mind. Massively, I I'm the same. Um... And it's only as I start to get older and you, when people say things, you know, like, for example, with the Burn Chef project, like what you just said then, and the warm, fuzzy feeling that I get from just a few words is immeasurable. Um, and you start to, uh, you forget that if that has that positive impact on you, then that must have also a positive impact on someone else. And it's being able to actually be conscious and be aware of your own self to be able to, to, to offer that out to someone, you know, cause it could, it could potentially change someone's day. Yeah. I mean, and I also try to put myself back in the shoes of, you know, the 21 year old cook in a restaurant who, if my chef had told me I was doing a great job, like I would have, I would have been on top of the world. Um, like that's, that's the approval you're looking for. It's like, it's like the parental, uh, approval, you know, your chef, your chef, you know, being happy with what you're doing is amazing. Um, and I, you know, for a long time forgot how, how much I craved that and how good it felt when it happened. Um, it's just, it's just, it's how, you know, it's human nature. Yeah. And as you say, it's often lost in the hierarchy system as well, though, isn't it? You know, um, which is ironic because when it does get dished out and it's actually the best thing in the world. And that's one, you know, one of the beauties that I think we need to get back to with, with a military based system, really. Um, yeah. 
So what's what's next for you then, Jeremy? So you've got you've got how, how many people have you got working for you currently? Well, it's in flux all the time because we're we get opened up, we get shut down, we get opened up, we get shut down. Um, we just reopened for outdoor dining at the restaurants over the last um, two weeks, and here at Birdie G's, where I am now, just last Friday was the first day. Um, so it's it's a decent, it's a good amount of people over the three restaurants and um you know unfortunately not as many as as it was last march um but we're hoping as occupancy increases and indoor dining returns at some point that um you know we can bring as many more people back as possible um but what's next you know that it's just trying to just trying to keep everything going um not making plans there's no plans for uh new restaurants or expansion like it, it's just getting through the through the through the day and getting through you know each month and um seeing what happens have you found that you've had is your mindset the same now after covid as it was going into covid in terms of what you're looking for from business or from from life from your personal life or have you found that that's now changed as a result of covid i don't know that it's changed i think having a kid definitely had already changed that for me where you know as a chef i thought that i you know i needed to be here open to close i needed to expedite i needed to touch every plate that went out um but in reality you know in my perfect world i'm i'm home for for dinner every night you know i'm not i'm not at that point but uh i don't i don't have that thing where i feel like i need to be here for service every night if i'm doing my job well i don't need to be um because the people who are doing all the work are at this point much better at it than i am hmm. uh so you know have good people around you and, um, you know, especially when, when there's creativity behind it, uh, have good, have good people around you and let them do, let them do their thing. Um, and, uh, yeah. That's good. That's good. And I'll let you, I'll let you get on. Cause I mean, this is so normally I get a bit twitchy about background noise with podcasts, but hearing a working kitchen in the background is so comforting. It's lovely to, <laughs> lovely to hear the timers and the thermomix is going and yeah. Um, we've been without hospitality now for a long time um, over here and we've only just been given a roadmap. I mean, we can, we can launch outdoor dining middle of April and then we can get start getting limited numbers back inside in may but you know that's obviously still a way away yet so yeah so a lot of vaccinations that have to happen yeah yeah but um you know hopefully it's on the up so one final question then that i always ask all of my guests and you've referred to it a couple of times uh, already is if you were to go travel back in time and give some advice to a younger version of yourself what sort of a, what piece of advice would you give that would make you know would, would really stand out for you? I would. I'd probably just 
to have a long discussion and be like, look, this is what's going to happen. This is, uh, I've seen the future. When this happens, do it, do this. When this happens, do this. Like I would probably specifically have a roadmap around the things that I know are going to be in the way. Um, I would, I would, I wouldn't have like a, a nugget of advice. I would just be very specific, like turn here, turn here, turn here. No, no, no particular part of wisdom then that you'd, you'd say that, listen, next time you decide that you're going to do this, um, don't, you know, don't shout at that person or don't be a dick or, you know, whatever, yeah. whatever, it, you know, I think don't be a dick is a, is a perfect mantra. <laughs> yeah. Always advice. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, I really appreciate the time you've taken to speak to me and, you know, I really, I'm hoping that, as I say, that the the presence of the Burnt Chef project, it's we we already work internationally, but um, you know, being UK based, we're, we're quite heavily focused here. But let's face it, mental illness and mental health conversations are it's a universal language, irrespective of what country you're in. So um, the more people that know about us, potentially the more resources that we can share, and the more people that we can help, and hopefully in the next couple of months we'll be able to get this um, American and Canadian number up and running as well which would be a dedicated support service for hospitality uh and just provide a little bit of additional support really um so yeah please just let people know that we exist i think is, is the key thing yeah and let me know anything else i can do to to, to help that's appreciated i will do i'll certainly be in contact but thank you very much for your time jeremy and um it's, a, it's been an absolute pleasure meeting you you too have a good evening cheers my friend take care Bye. Cheers. Bye. I really hope you enjoyed this week's episode of the Burn Chef Journal. If you wanted to learn more about the Burn Chef Project, head over to our website www.theburntchefproject.com, where you'll find a whole host of resources and information relating to well-being and mental health within hospitality. Whilst you're there, why not visit our shop? and support us by purchasing some branded merchandise, which we then use the profits to fund our ongoing work in destigmatizing mental health within the hospitality industry. Thanks again for joining us, and we'll see you again next week. <laughs>